Well, I got, I got a question to start today. And the question is this. Have you ever tried something because someone told you it would improve your quality of life? I love life hacks. Um, you know, I'm a sucker for it. If I see one on TikTok or YouTube, I'm, I'm probably going to try it. You know, uh, this past year I've tried ice baths. I bought an ice bath. I have no clue if it's helping or not. All I know is I get out and I'm very cold. Um, uh, I told my wife it was supposed to help me improve my, my mood. She says I'm still cranky, so I don't really know. Um, I saw on Joe Rogan, this jawsercise thing that's supposed to like reshape your jaw. And so I bought one of those and, uh, it's weird for me. The only time I find it convenient to do is in the car when I take my kids to school. And so I pull up to the school, I drop my kids off. Teachers are there and she looks at me and I got this red ball in my mouth. And I'm going, yeah, 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 yeah. They're very worried about my kids. Uh, they're like, is that your dad? Is he okay? Does he know he has a big red ball in his mouth? Okay, all right. Anyway, um, uh, I've done that one. Uh, let's see, I, I, got a, I got a mouth guard. Uh, I've got a mouth guard from Airwave that's supposed to help me uh, breathe better at night because my wife, she started kicking me out of the bed because apparently I'm like my father. I started snoring really, really bad. And so I got this uh, mouthpiece that's supposed to change to where my tongue rests or something. I don't know. I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes. Does anybody else wear a mouth guard and just spit it out at 2 a.m.? You know what I mean? Like I wake up in the morning. I'm like, I thought, that, uh, where is it? Okay. All right. I have to go find it. I don't know. But, you know, I, I've tried a lot of different things, but th- let's just, uh, let, let's have a little, you know, scenario. What if, what if I, I got one of these products, you know, and somebody told me, you got to, you got to get one of these. This will change your life. You know, you need to, you need to have one of these. And so I bought one. What if I bought one of these things and I knew all about it? You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, Joe Rogan says this and there's these YouTube videos and there's this TikTok. Oh yeah, you got to get one of these. But then I, you know, I, I, I knew all about it. And I even took a picture on Instagram and I'm like, look, I got one and all this stuff. But then what if I just set it at my bedside and I didn't actually ever use it? You know, I didn't actually ever put the red ball in my mouth. I didn't actually ever use the the mouth guard. I didn't actually ever use the ice bath. What if it just sat there unused? Well, number one. It would kind of make me a hypocrite, you know, to tell other people that they need to buy one or they need to get one. You know, here I am preaching about how important and how good it is, but I never actually use it for myself. But then the other thing that would happen is, is I would never actually get the benefits of it, right? I would never actually experience it for myself. Here's the thing. How, how many people do you know? Or how many people have you ever met? Maybe you're even this person who has bought one of these and, and you had it and you, you were told this is important. This is life changing. There's so much good stuff in here. That's going to help you. And you bought one and you even, you know, you Instagrammed it or you, you know, to put, put some things out there on social media, but then you just, you sat it on your bedside and you didn't do much else with it. See, I, I think that's a lot of Christians. I think that's a lot of us. And I don't think it's all of our fault. I think a lot of it is how we were brought up. And I think a lot of it is even the church's fault. You know, it's funny this week, um, I got my small group together. And the second question I asked my small group is how were you taught to study the Bible whenever you were, you were brought up? And they said, every single one of them, you know, about my age in their mid thirties. And they said, I, I wasn't taught to study the Bible. Do you know what they said they were taught to do? They were taught to memorize the Bible. Sound familiar? 
right? A PSR, whatever Lutheran class, whatever Catholic class, you know, caravans, Bible quizzing, whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, I think my wife did Awanas is what it was called. I don't know. They do a lot of different names with it, right? But it was some class that you took when you were a kid and they gave this to you and they said, this is really, really important. You need to memorize this. And for every verse you memorized, you got a little piece of candy, didn't you? Right? And you got that little piece of candy every time you memorized that verse. And then they told you, now, look, it's really important. There's a lot of lost people out there. So you need to go and you need to share it. Right? Go and share this with people. Take your memorized scripture. Go out there to the mall. Find a weirdo and tell them, you know, if you died tonight, do you know you where you'd show up? You know what I mean? And we were taught as kids. I mean, I grew up in church, right? I'm a pastor's kid. We were taught... You need to have it, you need to know it, and you need to share it, right? But then here's what happened for the majority of us. What happened is, is you got to be a young adult and you either went to college or you got out of your ecosystem and you started meeting people outside of your ecosystem. And for the first time in your life, people started to challenge your thinking, right? You went to that university or you got around those other young people and based on their experiences in life, you went up to them and you started, you you had it and you knew it and you started to share a bit and you started talking about how important it is. And you started talking about how they needed this in their life. And then for the first time in your life, they started to ask you difficult questions about what that says. And then one of two things happened. First of all, some of them, they asked you and you were like, um, I don't know, but you're lost and you're going to hell. I'll see you later. And then you ran away. And you went back to your little Christian ecosystem. You went back to your church and you're like, I went and talked to the bad people. I went and talked to, I talked to the liberals. And they asked me questions and I didn't know the answer, but I'll tell you what, they are wrong because this is, The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I've seen many Christians tucked away in the corner, rubbing this book, reading that song. I stand alone on the word of God, right? And you just shun those people. You're like, those people, they don't know what they're talking about. They're ignorant. They're lost. That's one scenario. Or what happened is somebody challenged your way of thinking, and they asked you very difficult questions about this, questions you didn't know the answer to because you didn't actually, you knew what it said, but you didn't actually understand what it said. And then for the first time in your life, you went, huh, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, that's, that's kind of difficult. Yeah, yeah, I kind of think you have a point to that. Yeah, if I had been through what you went through, I would kind of think that too. You know what? And what you realize for the first time in your life is that your faith was fragile. And the reason your faith was so fragile is because you didn't actually understand it. Because so many of us, we grew up, we were told to have it. We were told to know it. We were told to show, share it. But the thing is, is we didn't ever actually apply it. So we didn't ever actually experience it. We just had one. We just had one that sat there as an app on our phone or as a book next to our bedside. And it became that easy to walk away from our faith. And now here you are today. Probably the majority of our church, because we're a church for people who don't like church. Now, all of a sudden, you're in a season of your life, and man, you've experienced some life. You've gone through some things. You've got kids. You've got family, or you've got dreams of having kids, a family, or career. And for the first time in your life, you're becoming curious again, because you really, really want to believe that there's something good about this. 
You really, really, really really want to believe that there's something to this, that there's something else out there and for you. Or maybe your kids even pressured you into being here and said, man, I want to go to church. My friends go to church. Why don't we go to church? And so you're here and you're trying to figure this out. And if that's your story, I am so glad you're here today. Because I really do truly believe that everything that was promised to you is in here. But the problem is, just like we've talked about so far in this series, is you got to understand how to use this. More on that in just a second. If you're just joining us, we are in part three of our series called Compass. We started the series two weeks ago. If you want to get caught up, all of our sermons are on Facebook YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you can find any of that stuff. But we talked about week one, how this is a tool, just how a compass is a tool that helps you navigate through life and find out what direction you need to go. We believe that the Bible is a very important tool to our faith journey. It helps us navigate through the very difficult questions of life. But just like any tool, you got to know how to use this. So week one, we talked about how the Bible was put together, where the Bible comes from. We talked about how there's an old covenant and a new covenant, how for generations, all they had was a few letters from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then a couple decades later, a few letters from Paul. But actually, this wasn't put together for three generations, for 400 years. This didn't even exist. Yet the church thrived and changed the world just simply on the teachings of Jesus. Jesus and the resurrection is the foundation of our faith, not the B-I-B-L-E. Because for generations, that's all they had. Then Christianity finally was able to be legal in 313 because of Constantine. Then a Bible was put together, but it wasn't even printed until 1455. And so we talked about how the reason we have this, the reason we read it, is because God is in it. But we also have to understand the context. And last week we talked about that. We have talked about how context is very, very important. How there are a lot of scripture verses that we think are black and white, black and white, but they're not. You have to understand the context. You have to understand who wrote it, why they wrote it, who they were writing it to, to truly apply it to your life. Otherwise, you put yourself in a dangerous situation of making a poor judgment call. So that's where we've caught up to. And now today I want to talk to you about this book and where it's supposed to point us to. Because how many times have you ever been told that this is important? This is a life hack. This can help you navigate through life. But you've opened it up for yourself and you've, you've gone, all right, let me see. I don't even know where to start. I guess I'll just flip this open and I'm going to go in there. And then you flipped it open and maybe you said something like this to yourself. Well, what am I supposed to do with that? You know? That's really weird. Go read Song of Solomon. There's some weird stuff in there. I don't know why that's even in there. Um, Or you said to yourself, okay, is that it? Like you read it and you're like, "Um, that's the verse of the day on BibleGateway.com. Okay, uh, close it, done, right? I mean, it just didn't, didn't make sense to you. Or maybe you've even said, I don't get it, right? Like, I don't get it. I don't even know what they're talking about. What, what in the world? And so many of us have found ourselves there. But, but I, I get it. I understand. I'm a pastor's kid. I, I grew up in this. I've deconstructed my faith and rebuilt my faith. I understand. It's a very complicated tool. and We've all looked at it. There's nothing wrong with you. And I know you're all sitting there at home and you're thinking, wow, how does Pastor Michael do this? He's a genius. I mean, every Sunday he makes this make sense. He's great. I know that's what you're all thinking, right? Okay, thanks. This is the one time you're supposed to say amen and you didn't even do it. Anyway, uh, 
But here's the thing. We have, to, we have to back up, okay? Before we jump in there and we just start reading things and trying to apply it to our life, we've got to back up because the whole reason this exists is because of something very, very important. The thing we need to understand before we know what to do with this is we need to understand the why. Why it even exists is vital for us to understand what to even do with this. And the great news is that there was one particular person who wrote one particular letter that explained the why before they ever got to the what. When you open your Bible and you go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you find John, these are the Gospels. These are the firsthand accounts of Jesus' life. But here's what's very interesting. The letter that John wrote was completely different than the three others that are also in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all had firsthand accounts. They wrote these within the first 10 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. Matthew, he was there. He had scribes and patrons that were a part of his tax collecting business. That one makes sense. Mark, he got everything he wrote from Peter. So really, it's Peter's firsthand account because Mark was not one of the disciples, but it's from the mouth of Peter. Luke, he writes an investigation. He was hired by Theophilus and he writes an investigation And he spoke to Peter, he spoke to Mary, he spoke to John, he spoke to all of these different people. And he brings us this investigation. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they start with the birth narrative and they tell us all of these things that happen. Well, whatever happened to John? Well, what we believe about John, what we know about John is that he was probably tasked with taking care of Jesus's mother, Mary. So he goes off, takes care of Jesus's mother, Mary, until she dies. And then John is in a rare situation because most of the disciples, they they died. They died for the cause. They died for, for continuing to preach and tell the good news about Jesus. And so they died. But we know that John lived to be much, much older. So in his old age, probably at the end of his life. Somebody finally says to John, or he convinces himself, hey, John, you need to write an account of Jesus' life. And he's very aware about Matthew and Mark and Luke and the letters that are circulating that that, that tell about the account of Jesus. And John, he decides he's going to write his gospel. He's going to write an account. But he's going to do something different than anybody else. Instead of talking about just the what, he's going to skip the birth narrative, and he's going to get down to talking about the why. The why This is so important. The why we should even have faith and the why to find out how to follow God. So this is how John starts his gospel. He says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I thought you were going to make this make sense. See, this is one of the verses that I get lost about. I mean, I open up the book of John. You tell me, hey, start with one of the gospels. I open up John and this is what I found. In the beginning was the word. That doesn't even make sense. And it's, it's very confusing because so many times we refer to this as the word of God. So what is John actually saying? Remember, John was a Jew. Right? So he grew up with Jewish traditions, Jewish teaching. And one thing that the Jews believed is that God's words were powerful. God spoke, they believed that God spoke the world into existence. They believed that God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so they believed that the words of God, God speaking, was very powerful. If God spoke, things changed. If God spoke, things could be healed. If God spoke, things could be renewed. Things could be made. Things could be destroyed. They were taught as Jews to pray and to listen for the voice of God. They would pray and they would pray in such silence because they would be listening for God to speak because they believed that if God spoke, 
If they could just hear a word or a whisper from God, it would change their lives. So John is saying, there has always been God. God is all-powerful. The, the word of God, God has all power over the universe. He is the king of kings. He is the alpha and omega. He has always existed, and everything that exists is in him. And he says all that to say, to set up what he's about to say just a few verses later. Because he says, God is everything, and everything is in God. And then he drops this on us. He says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's so easy to miss the importance of this verse. Because what John wants us to understand, the reason he skips the what, the reason he skips the birth narrative and all of the different things is he wants us to understand the why. He says, you have to understand everything that was God, all of God's power, everything that was good about him, everything that he is, it was so distant, it was so far. Nobody had seen him, nobody had touched him, nobody had held a conversation with him, but he has been around and he is everything. And then all of a sudden, everything that is God was put in a body. All of a sudden, everything that was God was right in front of us, and it was in human form. All of a sudden, it was the craziest thing in the world. I could touch God. I could speak to God. I could have a conversation with God. I'm telling you, I was around God for three and a half years. I fished with him. I laughed with him. I cried with him. I saw what he would do in almost every situation, and he put himself in a body, and that body had a name, Jesus. And he said it was the most incredible thing I had ever seen. As a matter of fact, he told us. We, didn't even, we weren't even able to figure it out. We wondered where in the world he was getting this power. We thought he was some kind of prophet reincarnated. We had no idea, but he told us who he was. He said, I am like the father. You want to know what the father is like? Look no further than me. We are one in the same. We are connected together. He is the father and I am the son. And what John would tell you is what we understood is that he was not the best, but he was the explanation of what God was like. And it was unbelievable. Everything that was God was all of a sudden in a person. And for the first time in history, when Jesus walked this earth, we got to see how God would live if he were one of us. John would say it was incredible. It was amazing. We couldn't even wrap our minds around it. All of a sudden, in this person, in our rabbi, in our friend, we got to see how God would live, what God was like. I'll tell you, it was game-changing. There was one time we were outside of the temple and Jesus was teaching. And all of a sudden, all these men, they brought this woman who had been caught in adultery. And they throw him at the feet of Jesus. And they quote the scripture. They quote the scripture that's right here, that's black and white in Leviticus. Part of the 613 laws that we were told to live by or else we would be out of line with God's will. They quoted in this Leviticus, in this Leviticus scripture that if a woman was caught in adultery, that she was to be stoned to death. It's right there. It's black and white. We all knew it. 
And as everyone grabbed their rock, they looked at Jesus and they were like, just, you're right, go ahead. You've got to, you've got to do it. That's the word of God. You say you're God. Well, here it is. And John would tell you, and here's what I watched happen. My rabbi, my friend, my person who was like the father, he bent over, he wrote something in the sand. None of us could tell who it was. And then he stood up and he looked at every single one of those men with a rock in their hand. And he said, all right, whichever one of you is without sin, go ahead. And you can start. And John would say, I watched as every single man suddenly dropped their rock and put their head down and walked down the stairs of that temple. Because every single one of them knew that they had sinned at some point in their life. And none of them had the right to condemn this woman. And then... As I see this woman with her head down, her eyes closed, thinking that at any moment a rock was going to come and the beating of her life was going to begin. I watched as she had her head down and she's crying and she's weeping and she's almost out of control. And I watched as Jesus went to her. And John tells us, he says, and this is what Jesus says. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And as the woman opened her eyes and looked up and looked around, she said, no one, sir, no one at all. And he said, and then I was five feet away from him. I looked at Jesus and Jesus looks at her and he says next, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. John would tell you it was the most incredible thing in the world. See, we thought we knew what righteousness looked like. We thought we knew what God's will looked like. It's written right there in black and white. But then all of a sudden, when God was in a body and was in front of us, we got to see what God would do. And here's what I know. God was thrown a sinner at his feet and neither did he condemn her, but he loved her so much that he refused to leave her where she was. And this would set up and explain what John would say earlier, again, in that, that first chapter, where John is explaining the why and who God is and how he knows it because of Jesus. John says this. He says, I'm telling you, it's the most incredible thing. We have seen his glory. I haven't seen it in a vision. I haven't seen it because I've sat down and thought about it. I'm telling you, no, like it was a reality. And it was five feet away from me for about three and a half years. And I saw all of things that was good about God in a body and lived out in front of me. And the glory of the one and only son who came from the father was fully grace, fully truth all the time. He said, I know this for a fact. And I can tell you that if you ever met God, he would be fully grace and he would be fully truth. John would say, hey, if you're thinking about judging somebody, if you're thinking about wanting to murder somebody's reputation, if you're thinking about holding somebody accountable because you think you're better than them, let me tell you something. I've seen that play out and I've seen what God would do and God would tell you to put your rock down. He said, if I'm telling you what, if you've got a past that you think you could never get away from, if you think that you think that God, if you met God today, if you were caught in the middle of whatever sin you're in and you were thrown at the feet of God, you think God would condemn you. God would be angry at you. God would smite you. I want you to know that you're wrong. Not just because it's not because it's my opinion, but because I saw it, because I saw a sinner be thrown at the feet of God and he did not condemn her, but he also was fully truth and told her that he, she needed to leave her life behind. He said, I can say that to you. 
with confidence. It's why I'm writing this down. It's why I'm telling you this. You need to understand this. And he says at the end of his gospel, one of the very last things John says, he says, Jesus did many things. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that could be written of what he has done. See, John does something very, very, very important. John tells us who Jesus is. And the reason that Jesus is important is because he is the explanation of what God is actually like. And he explains that to us. And then he tells us the stories of everything he saw Jesus do to help us understand who we should be. Because when we follow Jesus, we find out who God wants us to be. He, we find out what it's going to look like in heaven. We find out how we're supposed to be in relationship with God. How we're supposed to be in relationship with others. And what kind of relationship we're supposed to have with ourselves, See, the thing that John was trying to do, we talked about how this is a compass, right? Where does a compass always point? North, right? A compass always points north. True north is the most important thing you can know. Because if you know where north is, you can know which way you need to go. Somebody said to me this week in small group, they said, man, I just, I wish, is there a book that just maps this out? Like, I just need to tell me, somebody to tell me step by step what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to live my life. I, you know, is, I wish this was just like a map or I had a map. And the thing I told them, I said, you don't understand. This is not a map. This is a compass, And here's the thing, John, what he sets up and what he tells us is that this is a compass and true north is Jesus. This was written. This was put together. The reason John wrote what he wrote was to point us towards Jesus. So that way, no matter where you are in life, whether you're standing here and you're going through something and you're anxious and you're angry and you're sad and you don't know what to do next, even if you're standing here, you can use this to find north. You can, find, you can use this to find out where Jesus is and which direction he is. Or if you're over here and you're going through something in life and things are good, things are great, you're being successful, you're killing it, and you're doing everything you're supposed to do, that even when you're standing in this position and you're trying to figure out which direction you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do and what kind of judgment calls you're supposed to make, that even still from this position, you know north. You know where Jesus is. You know what Jesus would do. John, everything that he wrote down was to point us to Jesus. Because Jesus is the explanation of what God is like. And here's the thing. The reason we haven't always gotten what we've been looking for out of the Bible is because we haven't gone looking for the right person in the right places. Because how many times... How many times have we gone through this to prove our point? How many times have we gone searching through this to justify the way we live our life, to justify a habit we have, to justify something we've done? And we're like, yeah, I'm going I'm I'm to dissect this. I'm going to prove this. I'm going to find a verse that combats what you think, what you say. I'm going to use this to, to debate with you, to challenge your philosophy, to challenge your methodology. And I'm going to use this as a tool to get what I want. The thing is, is that this was never put together. This was never written for you to justify anything about yourself. This isn't about you. This is about him. This is his book. This is his story. 
And the reason sometimes we don't get what we're looking for is because we don't go looking for the right person. We're here to look for Jesus. And John would tell you, if John was in front of you, he'd say, look, man, if you're looking for for God's will and for your life, if you're looking for wisdom, if you want to try to figure out who God is, man, I'm telling you, don't go to the Old Testament. The Old Testament, it's, it's give, it'll give you an idea, but that is, they, later they say that is a shadow of what would become a reality. He'd say, that's not a great place. And if you're trying to use your experience, if you're trying to form all this based on your opinion, that's not good as well because there's some faults there. But I'm telling you, if you want to know what God is like, who God likes, and what God likes out of your life, then look no further than the reality that came to us, who was Jesus. And I'm here to point you to him. Because the thing is, if we can find Jesus, we can find what direction we're supposed to go. And everything that was written after the Gospels, Acts, first generation history, after Acts, everything that was written, all the letters, whether it was Peter writing a letter, James writing a letter, Paul writing a letter, every single letter, this was their goal. It was to point people to Jesus because they also believed and agreed with the why that John wrote down. That the word and everything that was God was put in a body and he is worth picking up your cross and following. And everything that was written ever afterwards was to point people to Jesus. Even the letters that Paul wrote when he writes the church in Philippi, you know it as Philippians. He says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul says, hey, you guys want to have good relationships? You want to have good family relationships, good family uh, relationships, work relationships, friendships? You want to have good dating, romantic relationships? In your relationships, if you want to succeed in those, have the same mindset as Jesus. Be like Jesus. And this is what they would explain, and this is what they would break down. He says next, he says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage. He said, look, we saw him. He was here. God and everything that was God, the word became flesh. And let me tell you something. When he put himself in a body, he did not use his position. He did not use his glory to take advantage of other people, to keep other people down. He never took advantage of anybody, even though he was in very nature God. He never once did that. Instead, do you know what he did? He says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Paul says the most incredible thing. Can you believe this? God put himself in all of his glory in a body. And though he should have been worshipped as a king for who he was, he made himself a servant. And we saw him and he washed feet and he served people. And he put himself, he literally came down at our level and took a knee. And when our heads were down and we were crying in tears and free of condemnation, he was there for us. And it was the most amazing thing you could ever see. So if you want to be like God and if you want to be in right relationship with God and you want your life to be what it was created to be, be like Jesus. Because the thing we talk about all the time here at Anchored Hope, we say this, Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. And this is why this was all written down. This is why these letters were written. That's why these letters were collected. It's why these letters were protected for generations from a government and an empire that was trying so desperately to destroy them because they believed if people just understood how to be more like Jesus, they could have a better life and they would 
make their life better. Because the thing is, is when we know who Jesus is and when we follow Jesus, your thinking is transformed, your attitude is reshaped, and your actions start to change. So when you go through here, when you go into this, it's not about your agenda. It's not about what you can get out of it. It's not about pulling promises out of context that were never meant to you and trying to apply them to your life. It's not about a cool Instagram post. It's about finding Jesus. And when you do that, there are three questions I want you to ask yourself. I've given you three questions you can apply every single week. When you get in there and you start to look for Jesus, here's what I want you to ask yourself. When you read something in the Bible, what does this teach me about Jesus? What does this teach me about Jesus? Because this teaches me, when I can find Jesus, I can find the heart of God. What does this teach me about him and who he is? How did he respond? What did he do? How did he feel? And then I have to ask myself a follow-up question. What does this teach me about myself? Because if there's a part of my life that's not like his, then maybe I'm missing something then maybe I'm out of line. Then maybe I, there's something I need to do or I need to change. Maybe if I really want the life I'm looking for, I need to be more like him. And the last question is this. What does this teach me about how I treat others? Because if I'm to love God and love others, if that's the command, if Jesus redid this and I, I'm supposed to love God and love others, then I need to ask myself, am I really applying this to my life and am I really living this out? And is Am I treating others the way that God would treat others? When I ask myself these questions, all of a sudden the scripture starts to come alive and I start to understand how I'm supposed to apply it to my life. I grew up in church, like I said, and some of you, 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 you you'll recognize this, but I grew up in the 90s and uh, I used to wear these bracelets. It used to say this, WWJD, you remember these? Go raise out yourself. Raise your hand if you had a WWJD bracelet on. Yeah, some of you have them on your ankles right now. I know you do. <laughs> when I was in fifth grade, this is all I cared about. I cared about my Jordans and having every single color of the WWJD bracelet I could possibly have. I wanted them up my arm. I had the black one, the red one, the rainbow one, right, man? We had them all, right? And remember how important this was? It was like our badge of honor, right? Like we didn't, some of you, your generation, you wore cross necklaces. My generation, we had the WWJD bracelet. And here's what it means if you're not aware. It stands for... What would Jesus do, right? What would Jesus do? We had these bracelets and we were so proud of these bracelets and we wore them forever. They made a little bit of a comeback a couple years ago. But here's the interesting thing about that. We wore these bracelets and we had one of these. And we were told to memorize this, have it, know it, and share it. And a lot of us did. What's interesting is as many bracelets as we had, not too many of us spent a lot of time of figuring out what Jesus would actually do. We had the clothes and we had the book and we knew it and we memorized it and we went to church and we went to revival and we went to the prayer meetings and we went to the studies and we read all the books. But a lot of us didn't actually ever learn what Jesus would do. And we didn't experience it. And we didn't apply it. So therefore, it didn't really have a big impact on our life. And some of you, you know Christians like that. You know a lot of Christians who know a lot. 
but it doesn't seem to have a big effect on them, does it? See, a lot of people, this is how they know Christians. Christians are just a bunch of people who act no different than the rest of the world, yet they think they're better than the rest of the world. And for some of you, that's why you left the church. For some of us, that's why you've been turned off to religion or even Christianity. That's why every time you turn on the news and you hear about a Christian politician, you kind of go, <laughs> because they got the bracelets and they got the book and they do all the things, but they act no different than the rest of the world. Yet when you hear about Jesus and how Jesus acted and what Jesus said and how Jesus treated others, that's what keeps you curious, doesn't it? That's what makes you think, maybe just maybe there's something to this. And you've come to times in your life where you've tried it your way and you've done it yourself. And it's not worked for you, right? And you're looking for something. You're looking for that game changer. You're wanting to hope that this is truly the life hack that people say it is. And you're just trying to figure out how you can use this tool to help you navigate through life and help you navigate through your faith journey. Here's the thing. It's why we're a church for people who don't like church. Because we're committed to actually going and finding Jesus and applying it to our life and our relationships and our integrity. Because we, do, we don't want to live like the rest of the world. We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to just let this sit on our bedside table or sit in our Instagram reel. We want to be the game changer that we know this is and we want to live like Christ. Not, not because we think we're better than everybody else, but because we believe that if we follow Jesus, it will make our life better and make us better at life. So if you're on that journey and if you're trying to figure that out, you are in a good place. And let me tell you, one of the things that John wrote down, one of the things that he thought was important enough to write down is Jesus made a promise. John, like he said, he's like, there's a lot of things I could have wrote down. I wrote down the most important stuff as fast as I could. And John said, there was one time in particular where Jesus was inviting people to follow him because he was like the father and he was the, he was the image of the father. And he made a promise and it's a promise to you. This applies to you. This applies to me. Jesus, he said this, John wrote it down. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. Something bad happened to my friend Kyle. Bad things have happened to me. Bad things have happened to you. But what Jesus promises us, he says, if you will follow me, when you find yourself in the darkness, when you find yourself anxious, sad, angry, he said, if you follow me, if you know what north is, if you follow me and you keep your eyes on me, you will carry a light with you in the dark. And you may not be able to see 10 feet in front of you, but I will guide you on the path and I will get you where you need to go and I will make your life better and I will make you better at life and I will teach you to be content and I will teach you to be strong and I will build up a resilience in you. And this life will seem like a short blip in time compared to the eternity and the glory that I have waiting for you. I want to invite you 
to follow Jesus because I believe that he truly will make your life better and make you better at life. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, as we come to you this morning, for some of us, we are looking for that guide. We are looking for that compass, God. And we have not always understood how to use this tool. But God, we are getting a better idea every day. Every day, every lesson, we're getting to understand how to find you in this and through this. So God, help us to use this tool to find you. And God, through your son, Jesus Christ, as we follow him in faith, as we look at the lessons and the stories that have been written down, God, will you help us to apply them to our life? Will you help us to experience it for ourselves? And would it come alive and change our lives, change our relationships, change our family, change our marriage, change our kids for the better? God, as we go through this, help us to learn what it looks like to truly love God, love others, and to learn to love myself. In your name we pray. Amen.